My name is Saskia. I've got over a decade of experience in running a small business in the needle craft industry. I'm obsessed with the healing magic of crafting and the power of community. Dreaming big about a world where we rely on value-based businesses, the kindness economy, and where we can fully say, fuck fast fashion. A Smaller Life aims to inspire you to look at your wardrobe differently. Where do you buy? How do you use your clothes? And can you make some of it yourself? We learn from experts in the needle craft, textile, and creative industry, big names and small, about what it's actually like to run a small business. I'm educated in marketing and photography and learned to do everything else on the job. Selling, pattern and product design, teaching and running a needlecraft school. As a small business owner, you're in charge of everything. Branding, marketing, selling, promoting and cleaning the loo. Emotional talks with sellers about wins and woes, product and design, conscious decision-making, why we do it, how we do it, and what we need to become the future of fashion without burning the hell out. And I'm determined to lift our scene up for the world to notice so they can step away from fast fashion. It is 7.22. I am in a German hotel room. While my teen is listening in on me, we are on our way to the ferry in the north of Denmark because we are going to the Faroe, the Faroe, the Faroese Islands, and I'm super excited about it. Welcome to A Smaller Life. I'm so glad you are here because today I have something special, something different, something I haven't done before, and it's going to be cool. So as you might or might not know, I record my episodes ahead of time because this helps me to organize my life and I feel less stressed whenever an episode is due. So the downside of that is that it goes live sometimes a few weeks after I record it. And in this case, it's been more than a month ago because this episode is different than every other episode I've done before. And so me and Alison, the editor, had a little bit more work putting it together. It was my first time as a reporter on the road. I bought... A special microphone because I wanted to do this but it was the first time I actually did it I didn't write a plan I just took my mic and I went with it for this autumn break our family took a trip or rather a voyage to the Faroese Islands the Farer they're a group of 18 islands somewhere between Iceland and Denmark They are a self-governing nation under the external sovereignty of the Kingdom of Denmark. They're very remote. The weather is wet and cold. There's mountains and sheep. And I would say not much else, but that's not fair because I saw a lot more than that. But that's the first impression. Beautiful nature, sheep, remoteness and rain and wind. It took us actually 
three days to get there. A day of driving, two days on a ferry, and then we were there. We're going to have to set off this traveling with some other decisions we make as a family because it was definitely not the most sustainable way to travel. There are almost no trees in the islands and because there are so many sheep, a lot of the flora has changed over the years. So we really do love sheep, but they can have devastating effects on a landscape as they did in the history of Scotland, which is a whole different interesting topic to talk about. But staying on the islands... You probably know what puffins are. They're the cutest birds. They look kind of look like penguins in a way. They they have this really cute walk. And for some reason, I travel to countries where there's puffins and I've never ever seen one. Puffins were a big part of the diet actually in the Fader. People would do very, very dangerous things and climbing, cliff hanging to get to them. Times have changed and since puffins were becoming less and less in amounts on the islands, they have stopped eating them. They still, however, eat the sheep. And sheep's head is a very normal dish on the menu, which was kind of a weird thing for me. And it reminded me we all live in our own bubbles. I'm always very interested in the different cultures and different ways of doing things. And being a city girl or woman, city woman, eating mostly plant-based, no meat, sometimes fish. This was very interesting to me. I remember from my youth that my grandparents would eat things that we, my friends now, don't eat anymore. Like Things really, really change, and especially where where I live. So having sheep's head for dinner is kind of strange to me. But then again, I don't live on an island where importing is expensive and not a lot of things can grow. At one point, we visited a village and there were sheepskin lying around and it was a really cute little village. And then I looked around and I saw blood coming down the stream and I'm like, am I in an episode of The Killing? What's going on? And yes, it was slaughter season. So they were actually slaughtering the sheep. I think it's really healthy and also privileged to be able to step out of your bubble and have a different view on daily life in different places in the world and reflecting back on your ideas about living a good life and what that means and it is just very enriching. But I did really try hard to not let my daughter see some of these things as a vegetarian and kind of a sensitive kid. I don't want to shield her for everything, but I thought the image of sheep head hanging on the side of a house might not be the best thing for her at that moment. But we did have a discussion about this later on and and why it's different to be living on an island and import, export, all of those things. And arguably much better way to harvest meat, small and local and more honest in a way. Absolutely all the respect for everybody who has different opinions. This is just my experience of the moment and it was eye-opening. The main language is Faroese and Danish is also taught in schools. 
Faroese actually descended from Old Norse and is most closely related to Icelandic. I think I'm pretty good at languages, but I thought this was a really hard language. Sitting in the hotel listening to the Danish and the Faroese language being spoken, I had all of a sudden become much better at Danish. <laughs> For some reason, it was really easy to understand next to the Faroese, so it's weird how that works. A large number of the population is considered conservative, and we still managed to find a restaurant called Circus, which was very LGBTQ plus friendly, and they now have their own version of Pride, so things are really changing. We had a lovely time at Circus, and the bar lady mixed me up a mean old-fashioned, which was great. Thanks again. I cannot leave this unsaid. There is a cultural thing that is called Grindadrap, which is actually the hunt on pilot whales. This is legal and a lot of animal rights groups don't think this is necessary anymore for food reasons. So the amount of whales that are hunted are not considered to have a significant impact on the pilot whale population, but it is still a discussion that's being held in and outside the community of the Faroe Islands. Then back to the sheep and now in terms of crafting, there's a lot of knowledge on the island that goes back ages. There's loads of crafts that they excel at. Knitting, lace knitting, embroidery, sewing. They have some beautiful national costumes and the knitting is amazing. The tradition of making the national costume is very important because it binds families and they pass on the traditional crafts and reinforce the Faroese culture in the traditional village life and in the, the whole of society. So it's very, very beautiful and interesting to see. I also have to say something before we start the sound recordings because we're going to start off with a piece of music and this music is something special. When you drive through one of the many tunnels, you can tune your radio to a specific station and you'll hear a specifically composed music for the tunnel. It's beautiful. I hope you love it too. The fairies love tunnels. The 18 islands have 53,000 inhabitants and 20 tunnels. And most of them, or some of them, are really long and under the sea. So it's pretty cool. They actually built a tunnel quite recently to reach a village of less than 100 people. Like, I don't even know, but there is almost nobody there. But the difficulty with the coastline is that it really has these steep cliffs, so boats cannot actually get to a harbor or anything. So the only way to get there is over land, and because there's mountains, and it's just complicated. There's actually one island where just two families live, and the only way you can reach them is by helicopter. We have a Dutch TV show that's called Floortje naar het einde van de wereld, 
Florcha Dessing is actually visiting people that live very remotely. And if you want to see that, you can find it online. In this particular tunnel, there's actually the first undersea roundabout. I'm going to share some pictures in the show notes so you can see what I'm talking about. It has been a long time dream of mine to visit the islands as I have sold yarn from there in my shop, the brand Navia. And when I got new magazines in with pictures of the models showing the patterns of the typical Faroese designs in the landscape and the remoteness of it all, it has always fascinated me. And for some reason, I have a love for remote and cold and wet islands. I don't know why. And I watched the Danish murder mystery, The Killing, years ago. And the main character, Sarah Lund, is wearing her iconic knit sweater. It's a white sweater with the the black northern stars across it, like big ones. And this sweater was very popular in and beyond the knitting community. Since then, I've learned that this design was made by Gudrun and Gudrun, a design duo from the islands. I will try to to pronounce it right, but no promises. Gurun or Gurun. Or something like that. And I actually talked to one of the Gudruns and I interviewed her. So more on that later. It really was a learning curve to do this reporting style recording because I thought I'd wing it, but then I also did some work beforehand. I did send out a couple of emails asking people if I could talk to them when I was visiting the island one of which was Fiona, who I bought the yarn from that I sold in my shop. I did meet up with her and her husband in the hotel bar, and we talked a lot about the islands and the culture and living there, how the knitting world there is compared to the rest of, I don't know, Europe, I guess. But I couldn't interview in a bar. I do really want to take a moment to thank Daniel and Fiona for talking to me about living on the island and their work as yarn sellers and how they lived there for years, then returning to the UK and now they're back there. So they gave me a good idea of what it's like to live there. Let me share this piece of text that I read in the museum. There's approximately 70,000 sheep in the Faroe Islands. When I first recorded this, I said 7,000. My mistake. Half of these sheep are owned by farmers, the other half by private persons. Faroese sheepkeeping is mostly a hobby, not a way of life. Today, sheep are raised for mutton, the meat, not wool. According to old traditions and written records... Faroese sheep graze outside all year round, interchanging between the infield and outfield depending on the season. The shepherd rarely needs to see the flock besides when the sheep are driven to the sheepfold during summer and autumn. How to best organize sheepkeeping in the Faroe Islands has become a hot discussion topic amongst farmers, sheepkeepers and scientists. Is the current coordination of sheepkeeping sustainable when considering climate change, animal welfare and possible damage caused by sheep grazing? Sheepkeeping is quite traditional, but adjustments have occurred in the past. 
going back 150 years, the driving of sheep to the sheepfold in summer and autumn was very differently organized than today, the main reason being a shift in focus from wool production to mutton. Wool was an extremely valuable asset that no one could afford to waste, so the sheep were driven frequently during the summer period. So this is very interesting because also talking to Gudrun from Gudrun and Gudrun, the value of wool has changed so much over the years, even in these areas. I've talked about this in my area where in Holland where wool gets burned and there's no value. And if you want to know more about that, you can listen to episode 47 with Janne de Hope at the Hollands Wool Collective. So even though there's this focus on there's a there's more sheep than people there and still the same kind of things happen as here in my area. So we can be very, very different and also have the same kind of problems. Living in a remote area won't save you from sustainable sheep keeping. Thinking about ways to do things better for the environment and for animal welfare and all of that. So this is what I'm taking away from my visit to the islands is that opening up my eyes and at the same time connecting with a different culture, a different way of looking at things, it can all happen in the same place. So, so much respect for the wisdom and their knowledge and the beauty of the nature and the wonderful people there. It was a really, really amazing time. So let's go. I hope you will enjoy my report of my trip to the Faroe Islands and let me know if you want me to do more reporting. Okay, this is the quietest place I can find. I'm in my cabin on the Smiril line on our way to the Faroe Islands. There's so many ways to pronounce it and to say it, I don't even know. The Faroese Islands, the Faroe, we're going that way. I wasn't feeling too well an hour ago or something, and we have medication for, for feeling sick on a boat. And so I took half a pill, and I laid down, and I slept for half an hour or so, and now I feel a lot better. My family has gone upstairs to the bar to play a game. In all honesty, I don't think I'll have another moment by myself. Um, we're on the boat for a long time. I think it's going to be 30 hours all in all. It's two nights. Two nights and two and a half days. It's going to be a long time. I have my knitting, I have a book, the kids have drawings, homework, books to read, games to play, so there's enough to do. Time goes by really fast. On board there's different things you can do. There's a cinema, there's a game room, we can go on deck and have a little bit of a walk around, all those kinds of things. We have a restaurant, there's a buffet and a cafeteria, and then there's some sort of a library slash coffee shop. Quite curious of what we will find and see and experience, and also a little bit nervous as I was about going on the boat. We're okay, it's a little bit... There's, there's some waves, but I've gone through worse, so 
it could be a lot worse. So, so far so good. And then what's really fun is that here on the boat, I have seen at least six other people knitting, which is great. People are wearing hand knits or hand knit shawls. It's really awesome. They're definitely not all traditional furrowies knitwear, but you can tell that people on this boat, most of them are Norwegian, Danish, or German. I've heard one Belgian family, I've heard no other Dutch people, which is nice for a change, because we seem to be everywhere. Just, it's really calm. People are talking in soft and slow voices, and uh, it's definitely a different experience from the ferry to the UK, which is much more of a party vibe, I would say. Not necessarily like crazy party, but the vibe is definitely different. And they have uh, a shop here on the ship with a whole like area of wool, like Navia wool shop on board, which is pretty awesome. I mean, I've seen wool shops in supermarkets in, in the UK and in Scandinavia, but on a boat, that's a first. So that's really cool. Okay, I'm going to leave it at this and I hope the sound quality is good and I'm understanding my new microphone. It seems okay but it also seems a little bit soft, so we'll see if it gets better. The first knitting-related visit was to Navia. I entered a beautiful shop that not only had an array of yarns, but a lot of knitwear and actually also other clothes. It was a very beautiful shop. In the basement were knitting machines, and I talked to the sister of the owner. I wrote down her name on a piece of paper, and I lost a piece of paper. I'm so sorry. She was very, very friendly, but they just recently did a photo shoot for the new pattern book, and so they were very busy. And I actually had all the information I needed before I asked her if I could record some questions with her and then she said that they were too busy and I wish I asked her before. So we kind of said that we would do the interview at another time while I was on the island but I never got around to doing that. I'm going to just send her an email and we can do this interview another time. And so you have something else to look forward to from the Faroe Islands, but then recorded remotely this time. After visiting Navia, we drove through a town where we found one of the places people sell their knitwear that they make at home. It's basically a community effort. People knit items and then sell them within the community or for tourists. So we saw one of those shops and it was closed, but I took some pictures of the window so you can see that in the show notes. And right after our visit there, we went to the Snelden Spinnery where they spin yarns from the island, but also actually other fibers. So I talked to a very lovely lady there and you'll hear her explain more. If you want to build or grow your business in textile crafts, why don't you join our online community for the small monthly contribution of only 
10 euros, which is basically $10-ish. You get to hang out, learn from, and share your business and your personal craft journey with all the lovely people there. Support the podcast at the same time and you get everything wrapped into one loving package. I would love to welcome you there. Go to patternshift.fm and click community. And while you're there, sign up for our emails so you'll never miss a thing. Yeah, so he has this and the wind, but he has also the spinnery, so he's everywhere. Oh, busy. Yeah, yeah, very busy man. <laughs> we try to help him where we can. Yeah, and how many people work here on the? Yeah, yeah, it's the. Hilda, Kalle, or Johanna. We're seven. Seven? That's yeah. not a lot. No, we're seven, seven here, yeah. but one, we have also a store in Torshal. Yeah. So there's one. Oh, yeah. So we so are eight. Seven yeah. and a half. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we are seven here. Yeah. So when the when the owner gets sick or when something happens, he has to teach another person how to work with a big machine. Yeah, we yeah. have said them. He, he should teach somebody, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't It's know. so complicated. Yeah, I had yeah. a small knitting machine at home. I didn't even try. It was too complicated and it was made for consumers. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So this is also everything from that machine. It's not really. This is navy and pink and green. Yeah. Yeah, so we tried to put some colors. Uh, we have learned learned about uh, colors. Yeah, color theory. Yeah, yeah, theory. Yeah. So we try something. Some sometimes it doesn't work. Something sometimes it does work. So with the with the contrast, yeah, I really yeah. like the so something like that. And, and but the patterns are all traditional fabrics. Yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. We only use from the traditional. Yes. Yeah, we don't do anything. Just, but just the shape yeah, of yeah, the, the shape, yeah. is a little bit more modern these days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I like the pink and the red as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's uh, so fun to see that it's not a big area that you need for yeah. the machines. But uh, somebody asked us uh, why we don't do uh, the yarn into so we can use it to knit yeah. right away. Yeah? But yeah. so we need to do the building. Yeah, and everything, but uh, someone is very glad that we don't have it because uh, many are culling the yarn. No? Yeah, so yeah, it's that's a, true. It's yeah, extra yeah. work. I I also dyed yarn myself, mm. and it's extra work to take it off the cones mm. or off the. I mm. think they call it cakes. Yeah, and um, also when it's on a, a hank or a skein, like you sell it, mm. it's more relaxed. The yeah. yarn, so when it's yeah. wound up, it gets tighter, yeah. Yeah. and then you don't get a really good knitting result. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's all good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, and the how do you say? I, I don't know if I said the the, the cups. Yeah, machine. There are is uh, from the nineteen fifties. For the carding machine in the yeah. spinnery. Yeah. So yeah. Usually those old machines they last a long time yeah, because yeah, you yeah. can keep repairing them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And the owner knows how to do it. Cool. Yeah. yeah. And so now we're in the knitting shop. And there's also another knitting shop in 
Torso. In torso. Yeah. So here we didn't have a store here, but uh, many want to visit us. So we yeah. just did a little shop here, but the, the big store is in torso. Okay. Huh? So the locals, they shop mostly in torso, yeah. and here's tourists. Let's but say. also they who live here. So it's lovely, lovely sweaters here in the shop, uh, all the different kinds of colors. And then also the knitting yarn. Do you have different weights, thicknesses of yarn? Yeah, we have one thread to five thread. Yeah. But we also have the 100% the fabric, the two thread and three thread. Yeah, that's interesting for me because I don't mind that it's not soft. Mm. Uh, so for me... The local, the more local, the better. Yeah. But I think a lot of tourists like softness, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. We sell mostly of uh, that yarn. Yeah. But they also want a little bit of it, so they know what the hundred percent yarn feels like. Yeah, feels yeah. like and smells like. Yeah. Have yeah. you smelled it? It's <laughs> sheep mixed with spinning oil. Oh, it smells yeah. so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I like, yeah. like the. There's different natural colors: dark brown. Light gray, dark gray, light brown, white, yeah. very dark brown, and then a green. Yeah. And I don't nice. really know why they do a green. Maybe for Christmas. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So they pick out the colors from the sheep and then they spin that together, like they sort it in mm-hmm. color groups. Mm-hmm. Right. Wash it. Yeah. Everything, yeah. And what is the mixture of the fibers? Um, is it good? It's Faroe's wool, and what else is in oh, the other one? Oh, this is uh, not Faroe's. They did mix it with the Faroe's, but uh, they have some complaint about it, so they have taken it out. So we do everything here in the Faroe's. Yeah. This uh, wood is very good, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the, this speciality of Snelden, right? Snelden? Yeah, yeah Snelden. Yeah. Snelden. Yeah. Is that everything is produced here. Yeah. Only some of the yarn comes from the some of the wool. Yeah, the wool. yarn. The yeah, wool yeah. comes from the. Oh, I forget again. Some islands. Falklands Islands. Yeah, Falkland. That's okay, I yeah. always forget what yeah, it's yeah. called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Do, is this also dyed here? The no, color? no. It's in England. In England. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Nice. If we should do it in the Faroes, we also need to pick a bigger building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So you so yeah. have to be practical. Yeah, yeah. Right now it's working very well. In yeah. England, we know how what they use in it is not uh, very many. How do you say chemicals? Yeah, chemicals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And we try to have it uh, as green as possible. Yes, you say, yeah. and natural. Yeah. 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 Cool. Hmm. Thank you so much. Okay. <laughs> I'll have a look around. Thank yeah, you yeah. for your time. Okay. And what was your name? Uh, Johanna. Johanna. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Wait. In the capital of Torshavn, I went into the Gudrun and Gudrun shop, which is lovely. It is a design, it's fashion design, something you would expect in Copenhagen or Stockholm or London or whatever. Very, very amazingly beautiful knitwear design. I loved this conversation and I usually don't fangirl a lot, but I kind of fangirled over this business. I I loved everything about it, but you can hear the interview and listen, and I hope you love it as much as I did. 
so you're gonna do now uh, a podcast from the Faroe Islands where you're talking to different people, right? Yes, yeah. but it's mm-hmm. it's a little bit mixed, yeah. different things, and the sounds are different. I'll have the sound from the tunnel, and then I talk to a lady at Schnellen, and then mm-hmm. kind of mix things together. That's the idea. Mm-hmm. So can we start off? Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about the brand and how you pronounce it and which one of the gurus you are and who's the other one. If we can start there, that would be great. The name is difficult to pronounce in, in English. Uh, it's gurun and gurun. Uh, it's uh, spelled with the uh, Faroese letter et, that mm-hmm. is silent. So internationally, typically people will say gurun and gurun, but actually it's gurun and gurun. Right. The name came from uh, the two of us starting the company. The two founders are just Guru and Guru. Yeah. I am. Um, I have a completely different background. I studied political science. I was partner in a consultancy working with the European Union projects in Eastern Europe and very much in the Middle East as well. And uh, the other Gudrun, Gudrun Ludwig, she's the designer. She's a trained designer in Denmark and uh, she was living in Denmark for many years and working with Sabine Pupinel in Copenhagen as well, mm. known designer. So that's that's the background for the name. Yeah. <laughs> we already have 20 years anniversary this year. 20, 20 years. years. Wow, yeah. congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, when we started our company, we were specialized in hand knit. It was not smart to knit at all. Yeah. It was quite uncool. Yeah. 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 It was a grandma thing. Mm. But uh, Guru figured out that uh, she wanted to, to find her niche. We met in, in 2000 and uh, we just clicked and I saw something she was amazing of doing and she saw she needed some help to get out there. So we started working together and we uh, attended the first fashion fair in Copenhagen in 2002. Mm. And we brought some lambskins and some, uh, some knitwear as well. Like the background for starting the company was that we find it a pity that uh, the Faroese wool and the Faroese lambskins are not being used. Mm. A lot of the wool is being burned, it's still being burned. So during summer you can see big bonfires with wool. And uh, during the autumn, during slaughtering time, uh, a lot of the lambskins are just destroyed because there is no market for it. So like basically our main mission was trying to make uh, use of uh, the resources. The, The sheep are all here for food, yeah. but there are uh, a lot of extra resources that we try to use. I'm amazed hearing this because in Holland it's the same thing. The sheep that we have are also kept for, for meat, for food, and we have the exact same problem. I just recently finished writing about this problem because different businesses come into it thinking, well, this is really cheap material, we should do something with this. and the, and there's different kinds of people that, that step into that. People that see an opportunity and don't really know the market. Then people that know the market but are not that business savvy. Mm. And hearing you say that you are here for 20 years is that you have definitely tapped into a niche and found your market. Uh, we have a designer, Christine Meinersma, and she's more of an artist in a way that she does projects surrounding wool and showing people the value of it. And I think she took one sheep and made a sweater out of one sheep. Mm. And now she also does some other amazing things just as a background story. But we have a shepherd in Rotterdam, like a major city, and the sheep are there for grazing. So this artist took the wool of the sheep from one season and now she is 
grading it into different qualities and it turns out it's really there's really good quality in there mm. as well this is also the reason that the podcast exists to to show people that hand knitting and hand stitching and uh, materials like wool are so valuable mm. and the, we have something right under our noses that can be a counterbalance mm. to the fast fashion industry but it's i thought this was wool was a part of the faroese culture knitting uh, yeah if you go it's like the first export ever from the faroe islands you have uh, like writings back from 1500 yeah. that the first faroese export was faroese socks mm. hand knitted socks mm. and sweaters as well and at that time it was really really important yeah. we, we have the saying that the, the the wool is the gold of the faroes yeah, yeah. but um at the time when we started, it was a time of like um, the economy was good. Mm. Um, people looked uh, away from the Faroe Islands, looked for new materials, new ways of living. Mm. Uh, wanted to use Gore-Tex instead of using the lanolin in the in the in the uh, in wool as a water repellent. And so, so there was a different time. There was a different time. So we really went against the trend uh, when we started. And it took some time also to convince people that there was something in it. When uh, when we were featured in the first Vogue Italia, yeah. people started saying, mm, maybe there is, there might be something in it. Yeah, maybe it's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> and from there, we have been we're very happy now to have a very big loyalty from the Faroe Islands as well. Yeah, oh, I love yeah. to hear that. But the thing with the Faroese wall. We have the special breed that has developed through a thousand years on yeah. the Faroe Islands. And as you experienced yesterday, it yeah. can be extremely wet. Yeah. So they have developed this uh, double layer of wool with very harsh wool on the outside. So that is water repellent. Mm -hmm. And the very soft wool on the inner side to, to give uh, warmth. Yeah. In all times, uh, you, you can separate the yeah. two layers. But it's extremely labor intensive. Yes. And uh, there's no machine developed to do it. Oh my gosh. Because the Faroese breed is so specific. Yeah. Of course, if this was like the case for all sheep in the world, of yeah. course the machinery would have been developed. Yeah. But it's not, because it's a specific thing for the Faroese sheep. Mm. So what, they, what we do when we do yarn, we put everything together. Yeah. Makes it not as itchy as just the outer part, but not as soft as the inner part. Mm. So it's, there's, there's something in between. And like... In, in a spectrum of being very soft and very itchy, I guess we are from a 1 to 10, we are an 8, 9. Yeah. yeah. And 10 is the itchy. Yeah, and yeah. 10 is the itchy. <laughs> to yeah. be honest, yeah. Yes. But there are some special qualities uh, with the Faroese wool. It's, um, you can use it like without any kind of treatment. It's mm. just washed really softly. Yeah. Uh, you don't use any chemicals in it. The Faroese sheep are spotted, so you can just divide the colors. Yeah. So you can use the colors as they are, so that it's not even uh, dyed. Right. Uh, so that's very special, and it holds a lot of lanolin, because this is also something they have developed to to survive the wet uh, weather. So if you if you take some of this yarn and some of this garment and you smell it, you can still smell the lamp in it. I love that. Yeah, and that's what I really like. And the colors are very, very specific. I have tried with different yarns because a lot of people do find it too itchy yeah. to find alternatives, but there is no such white color as the yeah. color of the white color of the Faroe sheep. Yeah. There is no such dark brown color as the one we have here. And 
I have tried a couple of times that they have tried to fake it. That yeah, some of the yeah. producers said, "Oh, we didn't have enough dark brown. We put some dyeing in it." Uh-uh. Yeah, yeah. I would never forget who did it, and I'll never forgive them. No, <laughs> because no, no, no. I know, and no. they don't even try to cheat me on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I've experienced that in the shop with a French brand who yeah. shall remain yeah. unknown. Yeah, the, they sold natural colors, mm. and black is not like black. Black is not a natural color. And they had black, so yeah. they dyed it. So yeah. Like, yeah. I know these things. Yeah, Don't yeah, mess yeah. with me. <laughs> Don't mess with me. <laughs> but how about the designs? Let's talk a little bit about mm-hmm. the designs. What is a specific design features look? How do you stand mm. out? If we're looking for a, a design of yours, mm. what do we see? The most famous sweater we have. I wasn't going to bring it up. You brought it up. <laughs> it's because we are we are proud of it. Oh, not only because not, be. not only because of the killing, yeah. but it was a sweater not made for the killing. It was one of our designs and that we amazing. found a very good design. Yeah. And the story behind it is also really interesting. Gurren took a Sima sweater for dads yeah. and they tried to mm. scrape it down, scrape it down, scrape it down. Only it was no completely essentials. naked. Yeah, essential, yeah, yeah. Eh? Usually in a Sima sweater, there are a lot of colors. She would choose one base color and one color for the pattern. Uh, she chose one of the patterns at the start to make it simpler and to make it yeah, uh, more clear. And she wanted to make it a more feminine sweater that also could be used by urban women. Yeah. So she made the Ratland sleeves so it's easier to wear under a small jacket, for example. Yeah. Uh, she made the neckline as a turtleneck instead of a big neck mm-hmm. to wear. Uh, so it's easier to wear also uh, inside. Yeah. So that was actually the sweater we, we presented on a fair. And uh, the stylist from DR came and they fell in love with it. And yeah. the, act- the actor fell in love with it. And then there's like the whole story of how this product placement just went really yeah. crazy. And that's amazing for a small business. The power yeah. of yeah. that. I was not going to bring it up because I thought... And I shouldn't think, I should ask. <laughs> but you think that sometimes if if an mm. artist has a hit, mm-hmm. they're like, no, 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 I have new creative yeah, yeah. Uh, things mm. that, that mm. are going on. Yeah. But this is... But that one is... It's, uh, yeah, and, and it's it's still a really good seller. And, yeah. and also to people that they never knew about the killings. It's like selling well in Japan, for example. Yeah. They don't know about the killing. No, but it's a very modern yeah. design that still breeds yeah. the traditional. Mm. It's a really yeah. good design. Yeah. yeah. And it's also part of the um, permanent exhibition at the Danish Design Museum as uh, Nordic Heritage. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So well, that's really interesting. Yeah. But apart from that, we have a lot of different other things. What Gudrun, the designer, is really known for is her sense of combining colors, mm. uh, a lot of different colors and a lot of different materials. Mm. So she can use something very, uh, a very thick yarn together with a very thin yarn and to play with the materials and play with the colors. Uh, we do not only use ferrous yarn. The ferrous yarn is twitchy too for a lot of like the more uh, inner layers. We always use natural materials. Yeah. Certified mohair from uh, South Africa. We use uh, alpaca from Peru. And we want to buy the, the materials from the place where they make it. Yeah. So we don't see the idea of buying alpaca in Italy. Italians have bought the raw material from Peru really cheaply. Yeah. Then they make the money and sell it to us. So we would like to go directly to the base so the money stay 
where they have their yes. own materials. And we even have uh, like a women's empowerment project in Peru where they knit a lot of the alpaca for us. Oh, that sounds yeah. great. Mm. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Because I love the fact that you take out some of the chains mm. um, because yeah. of the bunny, but also uh, if you think about the environment, like mm. shipping everything yeah. all over yeah. the place, like mm. taking away some yeah. of the chains. Hi there, it's just me. I hope you are enjoying the interview. I just wanted to talk to you directly for a second. I've been recording the podcast for two years now and I hope I've been giving you lots of value and some inspiration. If you are ready to give back, I have a few ways you can do that. You can go to www.ya-vol.com and subscribe to my newsletter. You can become an active member of our Yavol online community and work at your sustainable wardrobe or get mentoring for your small business in our BBBBC program. And if you want to support more anonymously in the background, you can do that by becoming a patron of the show for the value of one cup of coffee each month. It's just a small thank you and it makes it possible for me to continue to talk to interesting people and share their secrets with you. Go to www.ya-vol.com and find everything you need there. Thanks. So the the women's empowerment. We started already in Jordan uh, many years ago, already 15 years ago. I was stationed in Jordan at one point in my former career. So I knew quite a lot of people. And already at that time we had started Gudrun and Gudrun. And we were talking about, oh my God, it would be amazing if we could give some jobs to those women. A lot of women in uh, a very traditional society as Jordan, they have not the possibility of taking normal jobs outside their homes. And this way we could give them the opportunity to to earn their own money. Because when we talk about women empowerment, we think it all starts with the opportunity Mm. to earn your own money. If you have money in your pocket, you have a... uh, Freedom. uh, You have freedom and you have a bigger chance of steering your own life. Yeah. We started the project. We have this amazing coordinator, Hint. She's the former police director of Jordan for women. Yeah. Yeah. So she's really a tough woman. Yeah. A very inspiring woman as well. And she's like the coordinator of the project now. Mm. And we have a lot of the same women still knitting for us. I know their faces. We go and visit them. And um, it does make very good sense because it's very simple. I'm not trying to put on any glory saying that we are saving the world, but we are helping a few women in Jordan and that yeah. makes a difference for them as well. Yeah. Quite a lot of those women are paying the university fees for their children mm. uh, with the knitting. We have some Syrian refugees part of the uh, the project as well. Mm. And uh, there was this woman coming pregnant to a man and because of the money she got from the knitting, she was able to pay for giving birth in the hospital. Oh my gosh. So those amazing. things yeah. are really, it's like... Yeah. Um, and the same way in Peru, we have a knitting community in a poor area south of uh, south of Lima. And when mm. we're there, we always go out and, and, and visit them. There's a street with a lot of women in the street knitting. And when we come visiting them, we go up to the coordinator. She will just shout in the street, no, they're here. And they will come <laughs> and they'll make us some food. And we have some very nice uh, conversations. And they will show me... Uh, they are building the houses like bit by bit when they have money for it, and uh, and they showed me this one wall, new how, how do you call it, uh, a story on their uh, on their like yeah, because yeah. they have one like uh, for, for a slo- another floor, uh, a for floor. a new floor, yeah, yeah. a floor. <laughs> yeah. They have made a new floor, and this, she said 
this wall for the new floor was made from the money last year. So just thinking, okay, it makes really good sense. One year, one wall. Yeah. Four years, hopefully, yeah. a whole new floor of the house uh, wow. she got from the from the knitting. Yeah. So it is. You can see some real change happening. Change happening with the material. You get you kind of spinning yeah. web of women spinning webs yeah, yeah. around so the it's world. Really interesting. That's it's amazing. Really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And then you have the local women. Here. And we have a lot. Yeah. Still, we have. Uh, it's, it's important for me to say that we didn't outsource some of the knitting because to save money. Yeah. It does cost the same for us to knit a sweater in Peru or in Jordan. Yeah. Maybe it's even more expensive yeah. than doing it on the Faroe Islands because there's a lot of logistics, there's a lot of shipping for it and back, mm. and we have coordinators uh, as part of it and so on. But still, most things are still knitted on the Faroe Islands. Yeah, by but hand. Then, yeah, by hand. And that's uh, like a different kind of, uh, of story. People, we never put an ad asking for knitters. People come to us. Yeah. Because they wanted to be part of the community. Yeah. And a lot of Ferris women, they're just knitting all the time. Uh, and uh, why not? They do it for us. And they maybe are challenged also in their knitting and um, and being part of, uh, of the community. Yeah, yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah. And so what is it like to have... Starting as a small business and then growing into a bigger business in a place like the Faroe. How do you build? How do you grow? Is it easy here to start a business or is it comparable to anywhere else? Uh, no, the difficult part is that you usually when you build up a business, you build up a strong home market. Hmm. Our home market is just extremely small. Yeah. Extremely small. For example, we talked about we are easy to compare with Denmark because it's like about hundred times bigger than we are. Mm. So for example, a very specific sweater, we have sold a lot of them. A lot of the men here wearing it. Yeah. With like a zipper here. There was a man downstairs yeah, buying yeah, one. Yeah, it's yeah, true. It's yeah, yeah. True. If we have sold like maybe fifteen thousand here on the fair oh of gosh, that one. Yeah. If we just compare it like that to Denmark, it would yeah. be one point five million. Sweaters oh my god! That so that's amazing. the difficulty, like saying something about the difficulty yeah. about small home market. Yeah. And of course, if you were in France or somewhere else, mm. it will be like hundred times again. Yeah. So it would be. Uh, so it's difficult to have a small home market. Yeah. Because like very often you you build up a strong home market and then you have a very good base also like a financial base to mm. go further. Yeah. But we need to go further right away. We can't live on a home base. Yeah. But of course it's uh, we we are lucky to have a very loyal fairies that buy from yeah. us quite a lot. And also uh, with the growing tourism industry, yes, uh, it's really important to us. Yes, mm. yeah. And can you tell us a little bit about the marketing side of things mm. and the and the branding? How do you develop that? Because mm. your website is amazing. It's super beautiful. And it, it's one of the things I do. I'm mm. a marketeer mm. and a brander. And if I look at it, it has everything. I just wanted to talk to a person, but I could find everything on your mm. website as well. Um, and there's movies, little clips of videos. It's beautiful, very aesthetically pleasing. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? It's like from day one, before, like long, long before I got my first salary from mm. Gudrun Gudrun, before we even started using the company money to, to pay for our uh, traveling, yeah. we spent the money we had on uh, beautiful imagery. Right. From day one. Yeah. We knew that this was like our business card to the world. That was the uh, the images. So yeah. we always worked with professional photographers, professional mm. models, and um, 
and try to get different views on what we did. Huh? Yeah. So it's important also to get stylists from elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, Gurun, when she finishes a collection, she's already like fed up with the collection. She yeah, can't even look at it. <laughs> yeah. She's already uh, moving, uh, on. moving on. Huh? So it's really important for to have somebody else, like uh, yeah, to carry it. to carry yeah. it. Huh? Yeah. So we have been extremely cautious about how to do it, and also. Yeah, this balance of it is like not just the buy button, the buy button, the buy yeah. button all the time, but instead trying to tell stories that hopefully are meaningful. Yeah, and root, people, rooted, like and strong. Rooted, yeah, because we also have had some uh, crazy ideas sometimes to go here yeah, and go yeah. there, but we always go back and say, do what you're really good at. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you were talking about a film. Is it time to talk about it, or is it something in the in the no, future? No, no, no. we we are it? yeah because if you if you look at our websites, we have quite a lot of films. Yes, also. exactly. And we we also had the opportunity. We have been working with a very good film people. We used um, a lot of good photographers mm. uh, for our images and our campaigns and so on. But we also had a special like entering to, to through the video and filming. I was married to a, to a video photographer mm. and he has made a, a lot of the first many years of, of filming. The productions were made possible because usually it's extremely expensive to, yeah. to make films. But in the later years, we also had interest from filmmakers that have supported us and that mm. have asked if they might do something for us. Yeah. The latest thing now we have done is like a filmmaker was hired by the Ferris National um, TV mm -hmm. uh, and she followed us to Jordan and she met, made the, the film about our project in Jordan. Mm. And just next week, we are going to launch our version of it. Oh, yeah, uh, and we are going to Peru in a couple of weeks, and there's going to be some people following us there as well to make some filming. So I was wondering what the team looks like. How many people work here, and what their functions are? Uh, we are a women-only business. <laughs> we are. Uh, it's me and, and the designer Gudrun, of course. We have Joron, expert knitter. She has been uh, with us from day one. We have her daughter, Anne. She's uh, in customer service and also in the shop. We just hired Christina. She has a, a background in, in sales and marketing abroad, also working with fashion. That's really difficult to get here. So we are six people working there every day. And uh, we have a lot of freelance knitters. They yes. come in and out. And we also have uh, girls in the shop helping us out. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. It's been amazing talking to you. Is there anything you. else you would like to share that we haven't talked about? No, I just I look forward to the podcast uh, yeah, kind of yeah. thing. Thank you so much for uh, talking to me and taking the time out of your day spontaneously almost. And um, I hope to come back to the island and I'm going to wear your designs with pride. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. Wow. So an island of beauty, beauty in nature, beauty and design, beauty and craftsmanship. It was amazing. I had a wonderful time. I learned so much. Islands always have an effect on me that I don't know what to call. I get into this philosophical state that I usually don't or don't have the time for at home. I don't know what it is. They just make me think about life in a different way and the Faroe Islands weren't any different. Thank you all that have worked on this episode everyone that i've interviewed and of course ali for the editing i know i don't make it easy for you so thanks 
Yahoo is a platform that aims to inspire people to take positive action to be part of a better world. We focus our efforts on the things we love doing so that it actually can be fun. In the community, makers and sellers come together, share and talk about doing their part in changing the way we look at fashion and making our own clothes. The community is open to anyone that wants to take the journey to creating and curating a more conscious closet. The BBBC program helps small businesses in the industry run a healthy and holistic business that gets noticed. I'm excited to mention that the early bird tickets for the next cohort are now available. If you want to know more, go to www.ja-wol.com yavol.com, and click on Sellers. This podcast exists to inspire you to take action, to do things a bit differently, so you in turn can inspire the people around you, share the joy of making, find solutions and share the good news. We are amazing and important. Now, go do good in the world and have some fun while doing it.